Omajana Sramanandasya, Vinajana Salakaya, Chakshuran Militanyena Tasmai Shri Guruve Namaha. Vanchakapadu Vishya, Kripasindabhi Vacha, Patita Nam Pamanebhyo, Vaishnavijunamaha. So, continuing this evening with our discussion of Madhurya Kadambani by Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, which is a, an elaboration on directions given by Srila Rupa Goswami in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu in order that the serious student can arrive at the proper conclusion regarding what is bhakti, what is the practice of devotional service, and how is it distinguished from other paths of attainment. The great sages, they have basically, uh, the rishis and the sages, they've put forth that mankind in general, generally, is interested in, and they've broken down what humanity aspires for in these general categories. One is karma. Uh, we do we desire to enjoy the fruits of our activities. We could speak of karma for millennia. I mean, it doesn't end. It's a continual cycle. Karma is. In one lifetime, you may aspire for some particular accomplishment, some goal, and only to either abandon that pursuit or continue through many lifetimes in, pers- in aspiration to fulfill it, to ultimately become frustrated and switch to something else. We see this kind of magnified in modern society, Kali Yuga society, very few of the majority of human society have the determination to stick with one objective. So you'll see many times some class of men, they're always switching from switching gears. They wanted to be this, and then they ended up being that. They went to college to to become a chemist, and ended up being a Hari Kri- I mean, uh, <laughs> ended up being a, a photographer, uh, or they were uh, desirous of uh, so many things. And especially in Kali Yuga, determination is very weak, and because of that weak determination. Uh, sticking with one goal is we really, really worship those people that can stick with something. They become our rock stars, our movie stars, our athletic stars, our stars in literature or the sciences, especially those that entertain us. We reward them nicely for that entertainment. Uh, So we see in modern society, basically the big money goes to the people that really entertain us nicely or who steal from us without us even knowing. These are the rich people. The real rich ones are the thieves and the the others are the entertainers, whether they're entertaining us with their music or their arts, their, their athletic abilities for three or five years, seven years, that's about it, and they're shot. Karma Kanda. Karma, the path of karmic activities. Unfortunately, being in the Western world, we don't have a good foundation of knowledge to know how much is out there. Now, being devotees, we have access to scriptural information. We don't have a lot of interest in the in the karmakanda sections of the Vedas, those that deal with rewarding us through elevation. Uh, we don't have much interest. Our predecessors and our our current teachers and our gurus specifically are 
are leading us to an ultimate goal. But we know about it. And that's a small section of humanity on this planet. A small section, I don't know what what you would say the, the percentage of of humanity that actually knows of the karma conda that's available, like elevation to a heavenly planet. I mean, go to New York City and stand on the side of the street and say, do you desire to go to Swargaloka? <laughs> you know, what? You know, they don't have knowledge of it. But they desire to go to a heavenly planet. They, they, they have a concept of heaven, and it changes from one religious doctrine to another. Some, uh, some think heaven is staying with your family and then you can be with your family in heaven. So that's their aspiration to, to stay with the same. Other people <laughs> want to think such a, such a reward as to stay with the same family would certainly be a punishment for them. So one person's heaven is another person's hell. But uh, we see that in uh, even in uh, Christianity, there's certain groups that uh, their uh, their forefathers, their predecessors, uh, they they really tout this. Uh, you know, well, let's go to heaven, and you know, we'll be there with our family. That we'll never have to give up our grandfathers and grandmothers and fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and chi- children. We'll all be together forever, and that's heaven. And we'll be with God, whoever he is, in heaven, for me or you. So the, con- the conception of heaven, although karmakanda in Western society is understood, people want to enjoy the fruits of their actions, the higher fruits beyond this particular body, they have little, aspir- little, little to no knowledge of and hardly any aspiration for, basically due to that lack of knowledge. Then we have the yogis. The yogis, they, the yogis have different aspirations as yogis. The jnani yogis, they, their aspiration is, uh, is basically to end uh, suffering. Uh, through, they, they understand uh, through knowledge the endless cycle of samsara, they can see it clearly through through the eyes of Shastra. Shastra Shakshush, this is called, being able to see things through Shastra. Now, Vaishnavas, we also do this. Uh, and as we learn in the beginning of the, this particular presentation, Vishwanath, he says in the very beginning, we are going to base, the information I'm going to present here is based on pramana, an evidence, which is the scriptures, and specifically the bhakti shastras. We're not going to base, what I'm presenting here, I'm not going to base on the karmakanda shastras, or the janakanda shastras, or the uh, karmasutra shastras. That's not the. This is going to be based on the bhakti shastras. So you have the karmakanda, you have the jnana karma, who basically they, their conception is they can see the faults of repeated birth and death. They recognize that 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 is a part of the mechanism of the material world, and they want to end that. Uh, you have the yogis. Uh, for the most part, the yogis aspire maybe for liberation, but specifically, uh, generally when we speak of yogis, we refer to those yogis who want to become perfect. And in that perfection, they want to enjoy the fruits of the, of the labor of yoga, those fruits being whatever they want. How is that not karma? Like... Because it... It is karma, of course. It is trying to enjoy the fruit of a labor, but it's uh, we call it a yoga because of the level of discipline required. Whereas the karma kanda section generally is is the results are achieved through sacrificial prescriptions, 
So we see in the Karmakanda section, we worship the ancestors, we offer oblations to the various demigods. The yogis have a different approach. Their approach is they control their breathing, they control you know, their life airs, they raise the, the energy uh, through the various chakras uh, to the top of the head. So it's a different approach. I would say that generally if we were to look at it, we would say the karmakanda section of human society, the people that aspire in that way, their goal is, is more of the same. That makes sense. More of the same, just better. More of the same. More money, but more of it. More women, but better women. More, more enjoyment. Whereas the yogi, the yogi really he he wants he wants ultimate control of the situ- environment. He wants to completely control his environment. Is it? Ca- yeah, it it is still fruitive, but it's a much much more subtle fruitive. To be able to control other people's mind, to be able to go in a river and come out wherever you want, be able to take any form you want. I mean, these are, this is some, it's, it's a much more refined approach. You may even say dignified, uh, uh, depending on their motivation, their intent, sankalpa. But yes, it's, it's basically in the same category. Then you have the jnani. The jnani generally he, he wants to end. End material existence. Put an end to his suffering. As I said, these are broad categories. And then you have the bhakti who has, uh, enti- he is, he's entirely off the chart. He, he turns the, the, the person that aspires for spiritual perfection, he, he sets the whole, he upsets the whole apple cart. And that's what we need to understand from Madhurya Kadamani is, as I said last time, we're really turning. Vishwanath is showing us that everything that we have as a grounding of how things are acquired is turned upside down. Everything is acquired through these other paths through personal endeavor. The path of bhakti isn't a result-oriented path like that. Although the bhakti wants a result, the result he wants is simply to love purely. He knows that if he can actually enter into a relationship of love with Krishna's associates and Krishna himself, everything's included there. But he doesn't care about the side benefits. In the beginning, they sound really nice. They're great. Wow, playing with Krishna, loving Krishna, you know. These are, these are great things. But as he matures in his practice through the various stages, the pleasure just of loving in and of itself is fully satisfying. It's beyond, it's, be, it's beyond our comprehension how love can be that fulfilling because we don't have a lot of, we don't have background in that kind of pleasure where giving without measure gives in return, unlimitedly. But you have to give without that intent. You can't really do business in bhakti. The whole process of bhakti is we want to purify our existence so that those who have fully received the mercy of Bhakti Devi feel inclined to lend us a helping hand. They can see that we're worthy recipients of what they can give. 
that requires work on our half, and it looks like the other work. But it's not like that. We cannot stormtroop our way into the realm of bhakti. It's not like that. It has you have to actually purify your existence. You have to come to the stage of a purified desire on your part. A purified desirelessness for a result other than simply let me do this out of love. How do you develop a culture of love? You have to associate with those that are fully in love. And when we talk of love, we have this this materialistic ideal comes to mind that we think we understand what is selfless giving. And as I said last time, we have some inkly. We can see it in certain places to some little limited extent. But when we talk about the selflessness that Krishna has for his devotees and his devotees have for him, it's such a huge, huge realm that it's Vaikuntha. It's uncomprehensible. We can't, you can't put your, your intellect around it. You can't put anything that you have around that much giving. That much giving ends, doesn't end. It is unlimited. The realm of Vaikuntha is unlimited. Although the sages, they say, well, if the material atmosphere is, a, is, you know, is a quarter of all of it. But these are, this, is, this, is, this is just some material estimation. The second, the second we try to put, take our ruler and measure, well, how much love do I have and how much love does the guru have for me? No, that's not going to work for us. Or I've done so much for so many years and and why is it this other devotee is just walking in the door and I can see in them continual spiritual emotion and here I am about at the fag end of life and I have no emotion I have no real love and he's he can't restrain his emotion why is he being rewarded and why am I being punished by not being given this you know, this bhakti. Well, because of our anarthas, our misconceptions, our false values, we bring this luggage of false values into our practice of bhakti. And some of us have a knapsack, and some of us have a U-Haul trailer. The person with the knapsack, he can easily set it down and go about the process of becoming fully purified. The person with the van and the storage unit in town, in every town he's ever lived in, there's a storage unit with stuff he doesn't even remember that he had. So he has all this Anartha, he's carrying with him, and the other devotee, he's already he's coming with the shirt on his back, if that. Or maybe he's come to the platform of a Sukadev who's walking around at the prime of adolescence with no desire on the mundane plane for what every adolescent wants. So much so he doesn't even have to wear clothing because he doesn't have to worry about his modesty. I mean, this is, this is high stuff. How can someone, how can the soul, how can, they, how can they be like that? That's what is being brought out by Vishwanath. Is it, this concept of bhakti is unimaginable. But let me give you some imagination about it. First of all, it's 
an unimaginable good fortune. Oh, good fortune. I know about good fortune. I went to a Chinese restaurant and I opened the cookie and it said that I was going to get something. And a week later, there it was. I won the lottery. I'm going back to that restaurant next time. The cookies there are good. Good fortune. Unimaginable good fortune. Vishwanath says, no, but you, your concept of good fortune this is not the good fortune we're talking about. It's not coming from God. Everything comes from God. What kind of philosophy are you giving me here? Well, it doesn't come from God in the way you think it comes from God because he doesn't show partiality. Oh, yes, but it comes because I'm a good person. No, sorry. Sometimes bhakti goes to those that are the bad people and we just pull our hair out. What is going on here? That the hunter that half kills the animals is being blessed by the sage walking through the woods just for a most amazing coincidence. Here comes the sadhu and he says, oh, wow, you're just half killing the animals. They're suffering. Could you just kill them all the way? Sure, I can do that. Of course, tradition has taught me just to do it this way, this half killing. So, you know, don't hold it against me, okay? No, I'm not holding it against you. Just kill them all the way. Okay, I, I can see the, the value in that. And all of a sudden, s- some service has been done to the sadhu. He's been given some satisfaction in some small way. And that sadhu, sadhu being Krishna's devotee, there's an entrance. Bhakti is now coming. It's not coming from Krishna. It's not coming from piety in all of its different forms. Tapasya, austerities, charity, being a good person. None of those things are bad. And certainly the devotees, we see their character because their character is like Krishna's character. All these qualities are in them to the nth degree. But they're following in the wake of bhakti. They are not pulling bhakti's chain. They're not pulling bhakti. They're just coming naturally. We're at a point where Vishwanath is is really refining his argument. So we'll go over some of this refinement and learn some interesting lessons about the way the transcendentalist uses the Shastra from his realization to properly present what is the conceptual orientation which is necessary to advance rapidly in devotional practice. This knowledge, this proper conceptual orientation can make all the difference in the world to your practice. I'll read this verse again. If the causeless mercy of the devotees accepted as the cause of bhakti, then again the question arises of partiality on the part of the devotee. The devotees being partial. So Vishwanath points out this is allowed. For the Madhyam Adhikari, this discrimination is one of his characteristics. And last class we pointed out these distinctions that the Madhyam is the person that person who is that avenue through which Bhakti enters into human society. The Madhyam, not the Uttama Adhikari. The Uttama Adhikari is so advanced that he doesn't distinguish between who's a devotee and who isn't a devotee. The Madhyamadhikari, he makes distinctions. Four characteristics of his character in the middle stage of devotional practice. He knows and loves the Lord. He he is at the stage of love of Godhead. So he is falling madly in love with Krishna. Unlike the Kanista Adhikari, who's struggling 
just to stay in the association of the sadhus. What is the struggle? The struggle is to at least have enough good character that they don't dismiss you altogether. Have some sincerity of purpose. So the Kanista is struggling with his sincerity of purpose because he's his conditioning is such as his sincerity has always been I mean mine, I mean mine, I mean mine. Everyone's saying it or something, whatever the lyrics were. The Beatles had a song. I mean mine, I mean mine, I mean mine. That's the way it is. So the the Kanista Anakari struggles just to have enough sincerity to set aside this anartha of I me mine and try to do some sincere service, not expecting some gain. Now the guru in the beginning may even trick the disciple. He sees their tendency, oh this person he you know, and he may he, he may play on that to get the Kanista Adhikari to engage in the process, knowing full well that in the association of the saintly-minded, their character will be rectified. There, and when we speak of character here, again, we're not talking about material character. All oh, they're going to become kind-hearted. They're going to become generous. No. They're going to become lovers of Krishna. And when you love Krishna, you love everything to do with him. Just like when you love a young, the opposite sex in, in youth or in, in any stage of life. You love what they love. You love the movies they love. You love the clothes they love to wear. You love the places they love to go. And if the two of you love enough of the same things, you you can get along together. Of course, again, now we're mixing in material life and material love. There has to be, there has to be a lot of commonality between between what we like in life. And if that commonality does not endure, then generally that love ends in separation, divorce, whatever. The devotee, the kanista, is struggling to to come to that platform where they are, they're truly, their desire is to really find out about their spiritual prospect in the association of a sadhu, a guru, where they can see that spiritual prospect fully bloomed. They're not actually seeing it fully bloomed, though. That's an interesting point. Because even if their primary preceptor is engaged in uplifting them through his association and through his teachings and through engaging in assisting him in pleasing Krishna... Still, the full bloom of what is his love for Krishna, they're just seeing it from the... It's like licking the outside of a bottle. First of all, their preceptor has has descended from full involvement in loving affairs with the Lord just to, just to help them out. Now, sometimes the Majjhimak Adhikari is on the ascent, and sometimes the Uttama Adhikari descends to the Mudjim platform. But the full blooming of their, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing a semblance of that due to our material conditioning. We're not seeing the full, the full manifestation. If we were, we would... Now, as we advance, as we come up, then we can understand more and more 
what's actually going on if we're allowed in. Now we notice when Krishna came as a devotee, not everybody was allowed in. When Lord Chaitanya went into his most intimate pastimes of kirtan, it was with his intimate associates who could take the heat of that much spiritual pleasure. That much spiritual involvement. They could not enter just because they only drank milk. They tried, they were found out, and they were kicked out. I'm so pious, how can you kick me out? Look at me. I don't need anything but milk. I'm not allowed in your kirtan, your intimate kirtan in the middle of the night. No, that's not the qualification. There's no material qualification. Here again, Bhakti sets the whole thing on its ear. It's it's different. So the Madhyamadakari, his characteristics are such that he's fallen madly in love with Krishna and he's cultivating that love in earnest. Or he's already completely, that love has already completely bloomed in him but out of compassion, recognizing, remembering how horrid the dream was he just woke up from recently, how much that dream hurt him, negatively influenced him, made him feel what was not reality was reality that he's willing to to suspend that topmost loving exchange that the Uttama Adhikari has and share the prospect of pure devotional service with others. Of course, once in a while, it's noted that they have a slip. Spiritual master will be there in in kirtan and all of a sudden there's a suspension it's like they've they've left. You'll notice this from time to time. It's very interesting. You don't know what to do. You're just like, mm, okay. Prabhupada, at a certain point every day, every day when they would uh, sing Jai Radha Madhava, when, you know, when he would chant Jai Radha Madhava, through a certain period, he would fall into trance. Basically, his disciples would notice he would he would appear to just completely lose all external consciousness, and he did. It was brought to his attention <laughs> by a servant. He said, Prabhupada, you, you know that you're like falling into trance like every morning during Jai Radhamadava prayers. He says, oh, it's not for so long, is it? <laughs> it's okay. Um, the Madhyamadakari, whether he's coming down out of his trance for our good fortune, our good fortune. Now this is good fortune. It's not coming from Krishna. It's not coming from our piety. It's coming from him, his compassion, his Kripa Shakti. It's Krishna's Kripa Shakti is coming through that avenue of the Madhyamadakari. Or the other Madhyamadakari has fallen in love with Krishna. That's what Madhyam means. That's the middle platform. Madhyamadakari, Ruchi, Asakti, Ruchi. There's Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim Kavitram Vajagadisha Kamaye. I really don't have any more aspirations on the material plane. I have spiritual aspirations. That's Ruchi. And then a Sakti, I'm, I, I'm, wow. I see an entrance there. I am being given entrance. There's a window of opportunity available to me in a particular level of service on the transcendental plane. And I'm starting to see what is that for me. Wow. What, what? must that be like in the life of the sadhaka when first of all all the material things just fall away no more anarthas 
and the true window of opportunity begins to open. You can imagine. A window where you're living in a world of illusion, where everything that you have seen and put your faith and love and energy into since time immemorial is fading into oblivion and you can see a window into the spiritual realm and you can see what is that and you have a place there. Asakti, you have a place there. You are starting to recognize that. After that, well, bhava, prema, incomprehensible. Because then you're first you're learning how to love, because love the 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 enjoyment that you have that you have thought would make and satisfy you as a living entity is is no longer satisfying you, and the and the way the Lord and His associates enjoy that culture of love in exchange that bhava. That overwhelmed would that would overwhelm you to the point of death. You are learning how to how to how to exist in that realm. Now, Bhakti Ross asked me an interesting question. He said, "You had mentioned that uh, Jiva Goswami in the Bhakti Sandarbha brings out the point that Krishna is so overwhelmed in his bliss, he has no." He has no experience of or relationship to what is material existence for the living entity. He's fully, and, and, and Jiva Goswami brings this out in the, in the Priti Santharva, the way Krishna, what is spiritual existence? It's, con, it's a continual immersion in ecstatic, um, loving emotion between the Lord and his, and his associates. Material existence, it doesn't, it doesn't enter into his equation. He has expansions. He's expanded himself to, to take care of that. He, he has the Purusha avatars. He's expanded and they, they're, they're in charge of manifesting the material universe and giving the unlimited living entities that are his parts and parcels, opportunity to satisfy themselves unlimitedly, unlimitedly not the way he enjoys unlimitedly, which is all unlimitedly all the time, but unlimitedly in that they can go through different bodies and unlimitedly try and try and try again to, to enjoy a little pleasure, a little spark of his splendor, whatever kind of spark you may desire. So um, I'll read that, that section from Preeti Sandarbha when we come to it. But this characteristic of the Madhyamadakari, being able to give this bhakti, first of all, he knows the Lord and he's fallen in love. Either he's falling in love and going into love, or he's completely immersed in love, but he's, he's overwhelmed with the, with the compassionate aspect of what what was given to him that got him there, he feels inclined to give to others. So he knows the Lord. He is, he recognizes and, and loves the Lord's associates, the devotees. And that includes those devotees who are just, now, just starting out. He's not discriminatory there. That's the characteristic of a Bajamadakari. Uh, his compassion it knows no bounds. The Kanista Adhikari, he's still measuring. Oh, this devotee, yes. This devotee, no. Uh, the Majjhima Adhikari is like, I, I, I'll take the foot dust of any devotee. Yeah, Bhakti Vinod Thakur, he, he gives us some inclination of the kind of mindset. I know that I'll take birth again, but if I do, and I know I've been rascal number one, at least maybe some insect in the home of your devotee some speck of prashadam will fall on the floor for sure and I'll be able to eat their remnants so that's his that's the consciousness of the Madhyamadakari 
He's actually there. He's there. When we say Trinata P Suniche Na, when we say lower in the straw in the street, devoid of all sense of false prestige, ready to offer all respects to others, no false prestige. I mean, this, this the Madhyamadakari has full, full grasp of this level of humility and truly feeling himself the most fallen. It's not a humility where you're acting humble. It's a humility where you realize, <laughs> I got nothing going for me except this association. Whatever, the, whatever is sustaining my spiritual life is a benediction coming from the sadhus. The devotees around me are sustaining my spiritual life. Without their sustaining my spiritual life, I am nowhere. I have nothing. Their association inspires me to chant my rounds, inspires me to read the scriptures, inspires me to engage in the ninefold process that they themselves are following. Without that, I have nothing. That's the level of humility of one who is coming firmly into the platform of mudjam, the middle platform of devotional practice. Before that, the Kanista still, as I said, he has these ideas, bore of unlimited lifetimes, these misconceptions that where he equates his good fortune on his actions. Devotional service, it's, it is a, it's the reality and everything that we're used to here is the perverted reflection. That's the way the sadhus have put it to us. We are living in a perverted reflection of our spiritual reality. He loves the devotees, and he's fully aware of the fact that without them, he's nothing. And those people who are innocent, he's trying to pull them in the door. You come. This is so great. Please, you have to hear about this fellow named Krishna. This is really your God. He looks like this. He acts like this. And look at the devotees, look at their life, look at the shine in their faces and their eyes. And, you know, these are real people. I mean, real people. And yes, some of them have real backgrounds and material life. And, but they're real. They're really trying to make spiritual life work for them. The way they can see it's working for those that they're associating with. He recognizes and loves the Lord. He recognizes and, 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 and nourishes himself in the association of the devotees and in the practice of devotional service under their direction and in their association. He's reaching out a helping hand under, to, to spread this teaching to others. And those people who are hateful of the Lord inimical towards him, those people who are cruel and hateful of the devotees, he ignores them. This is the discrimination. This is the kripa, the mercy manifestation coming through the Madhyamadakari. This discrimination. You, you're not welcome here. You can't come into this association. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna invite you in here. Because you hate the level of hate and animosity you have towards those that are trying to culture spiritual life is unacceptable to me. You know, some devotees, some mudjims are more have more of an outreach than others. We should respect them all. Some some are stricter, some are looser, some are but the point is when somebody's truly inimical and hateful, 
that have always they just don't want anything to do with them. Someone that's got material hang-ups, that's another thing. Somebody that's got a lot of baggage at a storage container at every town and village, we can deal with that. That's not a problem. That's not a problem. No matter how much baggage somebody comes with from material conditioning, the devotees have no problem with the baggage as long as the person is not creating a disturbance. As long as the person is is truly sincere, their intent is, yes, I want to be Krishna's devotee. I want to be your friend. I want to be friends with the devotees. However, accepts this partiality as the natural characteristic of the Madhyam Bhakti. This is a natural characteristic. This discrimination. This opening the door for some and closing the door in others' faces. This is a natural characteristic of the Madhyam Adhikari. The Kanista Adhikari does not yet have the discriminating power. This verse says that he shows love for the Lord, friendship for the devotees, mercy to the ignorant, and negligence of those who hate the devotees. Partiality thus exists in the Mudjam devotee. However, the Lord is always under the control of his devotees. His mercy follows the mercy of his devotees. There is no impropriety in this fact. As I said, the Lord is showing the Lord shows his he extends this aspect of his mercy through the devotees. He himself does not. Bhakti Devi is he's in love with his devotees. But as far as the, bringing people into the fold of bhakti, planting the seed of bhakti in the heart, which is what the, it, is, it is likened to. Bhakti Lata, the, the seed of bhakti. What is that seed? What's actually being given there? We can talk about that. It needs a lot of talk. Bhakti residing in the devotee's heart is the main cause of his bestowing mercy to others. You can't give what you don't have. That's why the Kanista's preaching efforts are sometimes so mixed. Other than bhakti, there is no cause for the appearance of mercy. This shows the self-manifesting status of bhakti. So just to elaborate on one point and close, when we talk when we when we talk about the Kanista Adhikari, sometimes he he doesn't really know yet. His discrimination hasn't yet fully developed. So we may see Kanista or groups of Kanistas, even institutions of Kanistas. And the focus is still a little tinged by the bad habits, the anarthas. And they'll think, well, to spread bhakti, I should open a hospital because people think we're good people and then they'll want to come and be bhaktas. Generally, you won't find this in the pure devote, in the, in the society of the, of the Uttama Adhikaris, the Mudjams, the people that are truly have the proper conceptual orientation They'll say, no, we don't want that. And they'll chastise their young, immature disciples and say, this is not the way you spread bhakti. Bhakti's not like that. We don't need to put a placard up and say, here, you know, here we have the best this or the best that. We're not here to do philanthropic and altruistic works. We're doing the highest welfare and the highest welfare is teaching people how to give up this material existence. So discrimination has to be there and sometimes that discrimination has not yet developed. And you will find that the, the sadhus, those that are fully immersed in Prem Bhakti, they will come down like a hammer and smash these misconceptions that Kanista Adhikaris could put forward in the name of spreading devotional service. I'll stop there. Any questions? So is that like bridge preaching?
Some might call that bridge preaching, yes. We're not interested in it. Is there valid types of bridge preaching? As long as the bridge is only going in one direction, yes. We can go out and we can we can go to a a festival and serve prashadam and invite people back to the temple to engage in the nine processes of pure devotional service. But what's bridge preaching? I don't know what that is. It's a concept that's uh, come to. Uh, that some some say we sh- it's a, it's a valid way to spread Krishna consciousness to uh, don't really expose the fact that you are a true cent percent all out Hari Krishna. You just go and you make friends with people, and when they when they become your friends, then you can gradually edge them into a devotional practice. Maybe basically what I've seen. You know, in my years, is most of these bridge, bridge preaching efforts ha- have n- have not, for the most part, brought anybody to the practice of pure devotional service who is not already would not already come without that kind of a a, a representation. Um, bridge preachers. Why you, do they do that? Huh? Why do they do that? Why? The idea is the common common society, the human society, they can't take the true concepts. So we have to water it down and give it and spoon feed it to them. But once you start watering it down to spoon feed it to people, uh, you know, there's a chance that you're going to water down your practice due to their association. So, uh, you know, there's some devotees, they'll go out, they'll open, you know, they'll, they'll, tr- they'll enter into communities of, of uh, you know, of new age, new agers or uh, yoga practitioners and they'll, they'll enter in there and they'll, they won't present Krishna consciousness as it is. All I know is my spiritual master presented Bhagavad Gita as it is. And in the preface to his Bhagavad Gita as it is, he said, and if one person comes to pure devotional service from this book, I will consider it a success. Does that explain bridge preaching to you? Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Thank you so much for your time. Hare Krishna.